This afternoon, the scripture reading comes to us from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. And we begin somewhere midway in the psalm. We read from verse 13 on till the end. Psalm 139, the verses 13 through 24. And then let us sing from that psalm the stanzas 9, 10, and 13. So Psalm 139, the stanzas 9, 10, and 13 after the scripture reading. In this psalm, the psalmist extols the virtues of our great and sovereign God. And then in verse 13, we read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depth of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Thus far the scripture reading. Let us now sing the stanzas 9, 10, and 13. This afternoon, we give our attention to what the church has summarized and what we confess together concerning the law of God and regarding the commandment, you shall not kill, the sixth commandment. Lord's Day 40, on page 555 of the Book of Praise. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thought, word, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also, the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward them, 
to protect him from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. Thus far. After the sermon, let us respond by singing from Psalm 18, the eighth stanza. Psalm 18, stanza 8. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. The command not to murder is God's instruction to us to protect life. And this command is rooted in the fact that God is the creator of life. Life has its origin from him and therefore all of life belongs to him. And for that reason, with this command, the Lord not only wants to protect the life of people, but he also wants to safeguard what rightly belongs to him. He says, keep your hands off what is mine. And so I proclaim to you God's word concerning the sixth command, where the Lord God commands us to respect his claim to life. And we look at two points. We respect God's claim by recognizing his ownership of life, and in the second place, by keeping his command out of love for Christ. So the Lord God commands us to respect his claim to life, and we respect God's claim by recognizing his ownership of life and by keeping his command out of love for Christ. Now, in the very first pages of the Bible, we read that life originates from God. Genesis 2, verse 7 tells us, After the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And throughout the Old Testament, God is revealed as the source of life. For example, in Numbers 27 verse 16, the Lord is called the God of the spirits of all mankind. And Job mentions that God's hand shaped and molded him and that the life and breath of every creature is in God's hand. Other scripture passages that indicate life comes directly from the Lord are found in the Psalms. Have you read the well-known words of Psalm 139, the verses 13 and 16, where David says to God, You created my inmost being. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And now it is significant for us to realize how the Bible explains in detail that God created mankind by means of two acts. While God created all the other creatures in one act, simply by giving the command for them to come into being, with the creation of the man, God took a different route. First, he molded the man from the dust of the ground, and second, he breathed into the man the breath of life. And so God's breath of life made a man a living being. And so the miracle of human life is the breath of life that came directly from God. And these observations about human life are important for us in connection with the sixth commandment, my brothers and sisters. For first of all, it is good to remember and to be reminded that life originates with God. Contrary to the main opinion of our time about the origin of the world and the people on it, 
We need to acknowledge that we have our existence from God and that all of life is his. He determines how our lives unfold. He determines whether to let us live on in health or sickness or whether to take us out of this life. And as Reformed believers, we have come to understand that the most important thing in life is not that we are healthy or rich, but that we belong with body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice that we are owned by God and that we are in his fatherly care. And now because life is a gift of God, the biblical model of life is what we have a close, is that we have a close relationship with God. Scripture tells us that the relationship that God established with Adam and Eve was different from the relationship that God established with the other creatures. You see, that special bond between God and mankind was a covenant relationship, a relationship that continued after the fall into sin. And this background information hopefully makes us realize why God gave the command not to murder. He gave it to protect not only the special life that he had created, for remember only Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, of all the other creatures, but especially to protect that special relationship that he has with mankind. Now the sad reality is that God had to give this command not to murder because even though we were created in his image, through sin we have become totally depraved of any good. And so God gave this command because the underlying motive of murder is the lost condition of the heart. After the fall into sin, we all have become murderers at heart. Oh, that's not a flattering statement, but nonetheless a true statement which can be amply illustrated from the first pages of the Bible. For you see, the first recorded evil after the fall into sin is that of Cain murdering his brother Abel. And this first murder was rooted in anger and envy. You can read that in Genesis 4, the verses 5 through 8. And then we hear about Lamech, who bragged about killing a man for wounding him. Chapter 4, verse 23. And as time went on, murder became a frequent event, so that before the flood, the earth was full of violence. You read in chapter 6, verse 11. And as a result of this violence, God destroyed the human race with the flood, except for Noah and his family. And what happened after the flood? Well, we find more of the same. Esau sought to kill Jacob, and Jacob's sons wanted to finish off their brother Joseph. And we can make this list much longer. Saul tried to kill David, and David had Uriah killed. And so it went on and on. Did the Lord Jesus not point to the long trail of blood of the prophets who went before him? Yes, from the fall into sin until today, we can trace a blood-stained trail of violence. And the underlying motive for all these murders and contemplated murders was envy and hatred. Was Christ, our chief prophet, not killed out of hatred? And so we see, my brothers and sisters, that when God gave this command not to murder, he did so because he knew how evil our heart had become. 
And that is a far cry from the general opinion that we are basically good people. But the truth is that by nature we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. And therefore God had to demand from all people, and especially his covenant people, you shall not murder. Now all these biblical examples that I've given you show that we have it within ourselves and within our evil hearts to snuff out life. And God does not want us to give in to that evil inclination. He created mankind to live for him and to proclaim his goodness and his greatness. He created us so that we would acknowledge and declare his wondrous works. Yes, God made us so that we would praise him. And this indicates that if we kill someone or if we commit suicide, then we are taking the life to which God claims ownership, and we take life that God made for his own glory. The unlawful taking of human life is such a horrible act because it robs that person from fulfilling his task in life for which he was created. And now we must keep in mind that any unlawful killing of human life is murder. Whether this done is done out of hatred or out of selfish interest when people start playing God with their own lives and that of others. And we can only think here of what happened in the beginning of the year when the government of Canada passed the euthanasia bill. For years and years there has been that steady push towards mercy killing. That unrelentless drive for taking our own life in a legitimate way according to the law has now become law. The society that pushed for us is smiling, but they don't realize what they are doing. For you see, the resistance to this has worn down so that in the parliament, in the courts, it is now said a person has, has the right to take his own life if that is his or her request in sound mind. And the main argument was that the people should have that right to choose their time a matter of death. But in the sight or in the light of scripture, which reveals God as the source of life, all unlawful snuffing out of life, either by force or by abortion or mercy killing, by the way of assisted suicide, that is wrong because it attacks the supremacy of God. He, as the creator of life, is the only one who may claim life and take it unto himself. And so the sixth commandment tells us to value life and respects God's ownership of life. Murder, however, does not value human life at all. And now you know that there is, of course, the difference between murder and killing. The catechism makes point that the government has the sword to prevent murder. So if the government has somebody, if there was the death penalty and that person was killed for his criminal act, that would not be murder, that's killing. But murder is the unlawful taking of life. Murder is such a terrible sin because it can never be corrected or undone. Murder is final. It literally kills the relationship between God and man, while God calls us upon to enhance that relationship, not to snuff it out, but to enhance it. 
And that is what the last question and answer of this Lord's Day deals with. And so that brings us to the next point. We need to respect God's ownership to life by keeping it, the sixth commandment, out of love for Christ. How do we do that? Well, keeping the sixth commandment begins by letting Christ and his spirit live in us. Obeying this commandment is like the beginning of wisdom in the fear of the Lord. And scripture is very specific about letting Christ live in us and thereby recognize God's ownership of us, of our lives. Since the Bible defines Christ like living in detail, the catechism does so likewise. The catechism is able to get down to specifics in this Lord's Day. And so it says, keeping the sixth commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards him. So let's have a closer look at that. Let us look at what I, for the sake of convenience, will call the marks of obedience to the sixth commandment. And we notice right away that these marks are the opposite of envy and hatred and anger, which are all the evil inclinations of the heart. For check it out while we have in the catechism. The first mark of obedience to the sixth commandment is patience. Now, patience is listed in Colossians 3, verse 12, as part of our new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Patience is the opposite of anger and hatred that often makes us do or say rash and hurtful things. Patience is one of the virtues that the Bible reveals about God. The Bible teaches us that God is patient, slow to anger, and his patience is not measured in days or even years, but in centuries and ages. We see the Apostle Paul says that the period of time that separates us yet from Christ's return is the time of God's patience. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, Peter writes. Now he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And you know, that's interesting. It's written in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Uh, 2 Peter 1, sorry, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It's interesting that it is Peter who wrote these words. And that's the very same Peter who once asked the Lord Jesus about the limitations or the limit of patience. He asked the Lord Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Well, yeah, Peter felt that seven times was a pretty respectable limit, acceptable to anyone's patience. But we know that the Lord answered him, not seven times, Peter. I tell you, not seven, but 77 times. In other words, as often as is necessary. And so keeping the sixth commandment begins with patience. And patience is not something that we develop by counting to ten in order to suppress a flare-up. Now, patience is a gift of the Spirit for which we need to ask in order to receive it. Patience, then, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that lies at the root of obedience to the sixth commandment. 
The second mark of keeping the sixth commandment is peace. And peace is also mentioned as the fruit of the Spirit. You can read that in Galatians 5 verse 22. And therefore the real peace movement, my brothers and sisters, the real peace movement in our hearts and in the world originates in the Holy Spirit. Oh, there are many calls for peace. But unless we recognize that ultimate peace is the gift of the Holy Spirit, there will never be peace in our hearts or in this world. See, the love of peace begins with faith in Christ Jesus. He is our peace, Scripture says. He is our peace with God and our neighbor. And this special peace is acquired by prayer and urged on by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The next one is gentleness. It's another one that is listed as the requirement for keeping the commandment. Well, what is gentleness? Gentleness, or a synonym would be kindness. That's mentioned in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it describes the way in which Christians are called to relate to one another and to others. And who of us has not experienced that a kind word erases many hard feelings and envy? Showing mercy is another aspect of keeping the sixth commandment. And so when after the golden calf incident, God revealed himself to Moses to give the second set of stone tablets with the law written on them, the first thing we hear is that God declares that he is merciful. Yes, our God is compassionate and merciful, and we as his children must be imitators of God's mercy and compassion. And that brings to mind the parable of the Lord Jesus about the Samaritan, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' supreme illustration of such compassion in human relationships. While the priest and the Levite passed by the injured man and so both transgressed the sixth commandment, the Samaritan had compassion. There is no way to improve on Jesus' illustration here. His lesson to all those that were listening to the parable was the Samaritan kept God's commandment. And then finally, friendliness is listed as the last of the obedience in this list that cancels out envy, hatred, and anger. And that helps us keep the command not to murder. For you see, friendliness is a very practical component of life. Friendliness gets down to not only greeting the brothers and sisters, Jesus says in Matthew 47, but also greeting people who are beyond the circle of brothers and sisters. You see, friendliness is a special kindness towards others that disarms hostile feelings. And all these things, patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness, they are all part and parcel of our renewal in Christ. And so then, my brothers and sisters, as we review this specific and practical list of commands that help us love our neighbor as ourselves, we discover that the catechism did not get stuck in generalities, did it? 
No, in fact, you can't get more specific than being told that we need to protect our neighbor from harm and to do good even to our enemies. And you see, that is too, that too is something that scripture teaches. I think here of Romans 12 that ends, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Yes, scripture teaches this so that we overcome evil with good. And these words echo those of our Savior. But I say to you, love your enemies. And now especially that requirement of loving your enemies drives home to us how much God expects from us and how much we still have to learn in living up to the requirement of the sixth commandment. Or we might manage to show some gentleness and mercy, some compassion and friendliness, but when it comes to loving our enemy, well, that is something else. Then anger and hatred tend to take over, doesn't it? But that is precisely what makes it so clear that in keeping the sixth commandment, that it involves more than protecting the life of a person. No, it requires respect for the ownership that God lays claim to the lives of all people, but also that through love for your neighbor and even your enemies, we help others acknowledge God's claim to human life as well. And that raises the question, have we done enough if we do not kill our neighbor? And the answer is no. God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you see, love is always a deed that follows or that shows itself in positive action. We only keep the sixth commandment if we do it from the rule that love is the fulfilling of the law. We heard that again this morning. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Obeying God's command so that it will benefit others requires that we live up to the demands of the law to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so over against the deed of murder, God places the act of love for our neighbor. And love is always a deed which reveals itself in positive action, my brothers and sisters. Love never takes anything. Least of all, someone's life. It's not an act of love to have your loved one killed. Love never names at the destruction of our neighbor, but strives to save him from destruction by letting him know the love of Christ. And so love aims at pointing ourselves with our deeds and our neighbor to Christ. And therefore, to love our neighbor involves also that we pray for his spiritual well-being. Our love for him is patterned after God's love for us. And you know, we heard it again this morning, also in the form for the Lord's Supper celebration, that God showed us patience and kindness and mercy while we were still his enemies. Romans chapter 5. And that is how we keep this command of God in a positive way, my brothers and sisters. You shall not kill means respect God's ownership of human life, your life and that of others. But it also means do all you can in preserving your neighbor's life so that we all can live 
in the fullest relationship with God. And why is that the key requirement? Well, because all of us were created to praise our Creator. Amen.